Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with His Word, and more in love with people. Amen. Amen. I feel like you guys like that song. I don't know, you guys get revved up on that one. It's that's actually, many of you, some, most of you probably don't know this, that's one of my favorite songs. And they don't play it, uh, you know, because it's one of my favorite songs. It's just a good old song. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. And while you're turning, let me just say thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody, all our coaches, all our families, all those that came out yesterday to help kind of uh, get upward basketball and cheer our season off to a great start. It was a phenomenal day here in the Lord's house. Yes, even on a Saturday, uh, we could have a great day. And so let me just say thank you to you. Uh, man, we had a wonderful, wonderful day. And uh, the reality is we could not offer such a ministry, such a program, uh, or an outreach to our community without you. And so I'm very, very thankful for all of you who have uh, served in this capacity, I can tell you, I was surprised. Do you know it? The basketball teams, in, in some regards, it was a little bit like rugby yesterday, <laughs> especially with the little ones. Man, they're five years old in first grade, and uh, <laughs> like Xavier was was refing, and uh, it's like it's like when you're refing, it's like you really don't even know what to call. I mean, I think Tommy, Tommy must have blown his whistle probably 80 times in, in the first game of the season. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say this in a bad way. It's kind of like herding cattle. No, we're going to go this way now. No, we're going to go this way. And uh, it, what really gets me, I start laughing, is when you see, see some of the kids, they dribble the ball. And they know they're, they're supposed to dribble the ball, but then something clicks inside of their mind, right? They're like dribbling like two or three steps, and then they just stop, and they're like, no, I'm just going to run up here. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, hold on, just keep doing what you were doing, right? And, uh, but we had a great day yesterday, and uh, I know that my voice is tired. And uh, I know Corey was in the shim, but my voice is tired from... Uh, trying to put a little pizzazz on all the introductions of all the teams and whatnot, but uh, very, very thankful for a great start to that. Hey, I would ask that you do this uh, this morning as we get started. I want to ask that you would uh, pray for Gary Maines, a.k.a. Santa Claus. Uh, this morning they've taken him to the hospital and uh, was not having a good night, and so I uh, don't know what's going on with his health, but we want to keep Gary in our prayers this morning. I'm thankful to see Brother Barry here this morning and uh, certainly continue to keep him in prayer and so many others. It just seems like, you know what, that's a good thing though, you know what, that we have a God, watch this, it's a beautiful thing that we have a God who is willing that we would come to his throne of grace and mercy where we might find help in our time of need. You know, he likes, he likes to hear from us. And so it's a great thing to keep one another in prayer. And I ask you to do that this morning. Well, let's get into scripture this morning. Proverbs chapter 3. 
and the precious Word of God. Look here, I'm going to draw down to the last two verses of our text that we started with a couple weeks ago. Look with me at verse number 9. Verse number 9 and 10 in Proverbs chapter 3. The Bible says, Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time that we've had already to sing about the reality that we can stand in your love. Because you loved us. The reason that you gave your son for us is because you loved us. And so, Father, we're thankful that we could stand in your love. And we're also grateful that at any time we can come to your throne of grace and mercy. And certainly, Lord, we are a needy people as we sang about, Lord, how we need you. Every hour we need you. And so, Father, I pray that you would draw our hearts close to thee this morning. And, and as we think about our dear brother Gary, as he's being checked out this morning, I pray that you give the physicians and caregivers there in Fairfax the wisdom they need to discern what is going on with his body today. Lord, I pray that you give grace to Anne as she sits there alongside her husband and cares for her dear husband. And certainly, Lord... I'm mindful of what a day that will be, when one day the sicknesses will be gone, the pain will be gone, the, and Lord, we'll be with you forever and ever, and Lord, what a day that truly will be, but until that time that you call us home, Lord, help us to occupy, help us to, to be the good managers that you have called us to be with those things that you have entrusted us with. And so, Lord, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight because, Lord, you are my strength and you are my redeemer. Lord, I pray this and ask this in the powerful and precious name of your son, Jesus. And for his sake, amen and amen. Well, again, thank you so much for being here. We've been talking about this, this idea, the topic of entrusted. And, and really, it's kind of a, uh, for those who are coming in, kind of the second or third message, it's just kind of a, a reminder to us of the different areas of which we have been entrusted with some great things by God. And, and uh, so we've been looking at these. And in our first message, you might recall, if you were here a couple weeks ago, we, we actually uh, relayed the message and actually saw in Scripture that we can actually trust God with everything. Amen? We, we realize that it's okay to trust God with everything, but we also asked the question in our first uh, week of this study, can we be trusted? It's one thing to trust Him, but you see, He has entrusted us with many things, and so can we be trusted with the things that he has given us? And so we looked at this word substance in verse number 9 of our text, and last week we continued our topic of, of talking about these things by asking, how well are we spending, how well are we managing, if you please, the time that we have been entrusted with? Because when it comes to honoring the Lord with the substance of all of our fruits, the reality is that Scripture is actually saying with the entirety of our estate. So it doesn't matter. It's not just talking about wealth. A lot of people, when they hear the word stewardship, they immediately think, oh, the, the pastor or the teacher or whoever, uh, they're going to start talking to me about giving money to the church. No. Listen, do you know that our Lord, He not only owns 
the hills. He owns the cattle on those thousand hills. He created them. I was listening this morning as I get ready. I was reminded, uh, listen, you know, Charles Stanley, he said this. I was walking out the door, and sometimes I look back as I'm walking out, and he said, you know that God is greater than all of creation. He not only created it, he's greater than the creation itself. Oh, listen, we have been trusted with every resource that we've been given. It's kind of interesting Oddly enough, we have this going on, and over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking to the basketball players and the cheerleaders at Upward Basketball uh, and cheerleading program. We've been talking to them about this idea, and Travis actually did the halftime devotions yesterday in between each game in the gym, and I know Jackie was over in the gym talking about responsibility, and here's the deal. Responsibility is this idea of being trusted with everything that's expected of us. That's what we're telling the kids. And it's kind of ironic that this goes hand in hand with this idea of stewardship. You see, God expects you and I to be good administrators, good managers of all the things he entrusts us with. In fact, Travis shared the principle that Jesus gave us in Luke chapter 16 and verse 10, where Jesus said these words. He says, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. So it doesn't matter what it is that we're talking about. The reality is that with these principles in mind, I think the Lord is pretty concerned with how we manage the gifts that he's given us. Don't you? I believe he really is. Sometimes we don't get it, but I believe he is. And so today, I want us to take this in a different direction. I want us to consider this principle of honoring the Lord with the substance of Right? Verse number 9, with the substance and thy first fruits of all thine increase, when it comes, you ready for this? To the truth of his word. How, how are we managing this truth? You see, because I can tell you this, if, and listen, I hope you brought your Bible, and I, I want to encourage you, whenever you come to this place of worship, I don't know about other churches, but I want to encourage you, you can bring your Bible here and I won't get upset with you. You know, it's crazy. I know that some places, it's like, man, I, I'm not taking my Bible outside the house. You know, I'm not. Listen, this Bible, I'm walking around, and some of you know it's covered with duct tape. This thing's about ready to fall apart, but I'm not giving it up. I'm not giving it up. And if you come and try and take it from me, I'm going to fight you. You're like, man, that's fighting words. You try and take the word of God from me, right? But here's the thing. I need to be hiding the word of God in my heart that I might not sin against thee so that if you do come and try and take this paper copy, I still got a living copy living and breathing and going on inside of my heart. Listen, the word of God will endure forever and ever. It's not going away. And so I want to encourage you to be in the word and have the word of God. Last week, it's interesting, as I close the message, you may recall this, after Jason gave his testimony, thank you, Jason, for doing that. But as he closed, I, I shared the reality that one day all of us will be audited. And that's like when I brought that up, I saw a lot of people go, oh, oh, you had to bring that up. Everything was nice and we had a nice testimony about how God provided in Jason's uh, massive heart attack and all these things. And then I followed him up by saying that one day every one of us will be audited by the greatest accountant of all. You see, he's keeping the record of how we spend, how we manage the things that he has entrusted to us. And last week we were talking about time. 
And so I said, one day we'll be audited for how we manage or spend our time. But the same is true when it comes to the Word of God because biblically speaking, stewardship is a God-given responsibility, watch this, with accountability. It's a God-given responsibility with accountability, and it's true with His Word as well. Years ago, I remember this story. I, I actually shared this about seven, six, seven years, probably seven years ago, uh, this, this uh, research that was done by the Stanford Research Institute. And they were doing a uh, kind of a test on the perceptions in vocational um, uh, in the vocational world, the preferences and preferences of, of different ones in different areas. And they came up with a short, concise test. And the test was held this way. And the first one to be tested was an engineer. And the researchers asked the engineer, they said, engineer, what does two plus two equal? Well, the engineer simply said, well, in absolute terms, I can see, you know, the engineer, in absolute terms, it equals four. So they marked down what the engineer said, and after making their notes, they excused the engineer. They brought in an architect, and the same question, here's the architect's response. The architect said, well, there are several possibilities. Two and two make four, but so do three and one, and even still, 2.5 and 1.5 equal four. And so it's really just all a matter of choosing the right option. So they wrote down what the architect thought, and researchers thanked the architect and made their notes, and finally they called in an attorney. Don't get mad at me, attorneys. They called in the attorney, and and when the lawyer heard the question, the lawyer looked around and said, can I close the door for privacy? And, And so they closed the door, and the lawyer came over to the researchers and says, what answer do you want it to be? It's funny, right? But doesn't this seem to be the mentality when it comes to the things of God? See, some people, when we ask them about the Word of God, they say, it's truth. It is truth. It's, it's, it's my roadmap for life. Everything that I do, I weigh everything, every decision, every choice, every action that I make, I weigh it against the Word of God because this is the Word of God and it's true and it endures forever and I must use this as the roadmap for my life, for success. And listen, this is what I believe. And then there are some people, when you talk to them about the Word of God, they say, well, you know, I mean, it it just kind of matters. I mean, you know, I believe the last part of the Bible over here in the New Testament, but man, don't, can we just just do away. I actually carry a New Testament. I don't want to hear about the Old Testament. I don't want to know it's all God's Word, right? And if you can't see Jesus in the Old Testament, you've missed it. You've missed it because He's weaved all throughout Scripture. But then there's still others yet who basically do this. When it comes to the Word of God, they say, no, thank you. No, thank you. I may know it's true, but I'm going to live my life according to me, myself, and I. And so, see, it, it, it's very important to be sure. By the way, I, in fact, Darren and I were chatting very briefly yesterday. He asked me what I was going to preach on, and I said I was going to preach on truth. But I, as we were sitting there, I said, you know, there are no shortages of opinions on what is truth today. If you look around in our world, there, everybody's got an opinion on what is truth and actually what qualifies as truth. In fact, there are all types of philosophies surrounding this idea or this topic of truth. But I can say this, and I said this to Darren yesterday. 
if we have to think about this, if we have to come up with a philosophy to determine what truth is, we're in trouble already. If you, have to, if you have to sit around, if you have to build a committee, and you have to sit around and talk and research and try and figure out, okay, now, what is truth? Let's figure out how we're going to di define and dictate what truth. We've already got a problem, right? But yet, this is the world in which we live in. In fact, many years ago, I shared some of the popular thoughts on truth. I'll share them again if you want to take a picture uh, on the screen. I don't know if you can see this, but I'll mention them to you. Uh, this, by the way, this is by no means an exhaustive list, but these are some popular thoughts surrounding truth. They still continue to be, and uh, the thoughts uh, include this idea of rationalism. Truth is what's reasonable. You see, when I tell somebody that this is the Word of God and that it is truth, they say, brother, that's not reasonable. And so the rationalists would say it's not reasonable, but uh, uh, rationalists, they can reason their way. They can reason their way to truth without actually having to prove it. That's what rationalism is. There's also the pragmatism. Truth is what works. This is anything that works, anything that's useful, anything that, watch this, that brings satisfaction is truth. Well, there's a lot of things that may bring temporary satisfaction that are not true. And so we have to be careful with this ideology. Also, there's the utilitarianism. This is truth. This is where I believe, to be honest, I believe this third one is where a lot of churches are today. To be honest with you, I believe this is, and I, I, I started to kind of make a big deal about this, but I believe this is where a lot of churches are today, the, the utilitarianism, because here's the reality. This speaks of truth is what's beneficial, What's beneficial for the greatest number of people? You see, we live in a time, and we'll look at it here in a little bit, where, where people don't want to hear truth. Most people don't want to hear truth. Do you know, as a child, I didn't always want to hear truth? When I, when I disobeyed my parents, there came a time where my dad was going to kind of uh, uh, awaken my senses, if you please. He was going to awaken. He was going to bring to my attention what was true and what was a lie. There were times that I didn't like that. But listen, this is where many churches are, I believe, today because they're basing their truth on what produces the greatest happiness for the greatest number of people. And so guess what happens? What you find in a church like that, and listen, I'm not trying to disparage any church, but if a church is preaching anything other than the Word of God, the Bible says, let that person be accursed. That's not me. That's the Bible. And so if somebody's going to communicate something other than God's word because they think it's benefiting the greatest number of people, the sad reality is it's actually doing the opposite because it's leading the greatest number of people away from truth. The last one up there you see is idealism. This is kind of the idea of relativism. This is like running rampant in our society. This is truth is whatever you want it to be. Listen, I want the commanders, a.k.a. Redskins, a.k.a. Washington football team to be Super Bowl champs, but they're not. That's not truth. That's a fallacy. It's a lie. It hasn't happened in 30 plus years. Cowboy fans, don't get too excited. It's been a long time. I hope you win today, but whatever. You see, idealism states that there is no absolute truth, therefore the word of God cannot be true. 
That's what, that's what idealism says. There is no absolute truth. So if you believe that there is no absolute truth, then don't tell me you believe this is the word of God because it cannot be absolute truth. See, it's pretty important though, but scripture, see if you believe scripture, scripture teaches us that God is not only the initiator, he's the author of everything, including truth. So the word of God actually reminds you and me and teaches you and me that truth can not only be known, but that truth is actually reliable for our lives. In the Old Testament, it was Moses who proclaimed the greatness of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4, he said, He is the rock. His work is perfect. And all his ways are judgment. And notice what he says about God. He says, a God of what? No, say, a God of what? We got to remind ourselves. Can I tell you this? Because you're going to walk out of here in just a little while. Tomorrow morning when you get up, I'm begging you, remind yourself that he's the God of truth. Let God be true and every man a liar. If it doesn't match up with the word of God, hello, please, I'm begging you, let the word of God be your guide. Because he's a God of truth, Moses says. And it, watch, he says also, not only is he a God of truth, but he's without iniquity, just and right is he. In Isaiah 65, 16, it was the prophet Isaiah who spoke of God twice in the same verse, again and again. He said that he was the God of truth. In the New Testament, John, in John 1, 9, he states that Jesus was the true and is the true light. And then a few verses later, you remember he's saying that when he and the disciples, when they beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father, uh, right? When he's talking about Jesus as they beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, he said that he was full of grace, which is what the world wants. They're looking for a loving God and, and here, and listen, the Bible tells us about a loving God and yet... Many don't see it. He says he was full of grace and truth. Oh, yes. All through Scripture in John 14, in verse number 6, Jesus, he's with his disciples, and he declares to them that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. Not only was Jesus, by the way, not only was he laying claim to his deity as God, he was also making it clear that all truth must ultimately be defined by God and his eternal glory. Why? Because Jesus was and was truth in the flesh. Oh yes, my friends. Jesus still remains as the perfect expression of God and the personification of all that's true. I was thinking about earlier this week, I looked over as Jesus uh, he had dictated his letters to the seven churches of Revelation and he's dictating his letter to, uh, through John to the church of Laodicea back at that time. And in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 14, here's what Jesus is telling John to write to the church. He says, he says by the way, he says, tell them that this letter is coming from me, the amen. By the way, that means he, he's the amen of everything, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He says, tell them this letter's coming from me, the amen, the faithful and true witness. Oh, listen, everything he does is based on truth. Later on, John gets a glimpse of, of eternal, uh, uh, of heaven, of eternity. And in uh, Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 12, he relays what he saw in this verse and he says, he says, when I saw the heaven open, he said, behold, there was a white horse. 
Guess who's sitting on the horse? Who? Jesus is sitting on the horse. He says, behold, I see this white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful. You think John is remembering what Jesus said he was? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's recalling the very words of our Lord and Savior who said he was faithful and true. And so when John sees him, and he sees him sitting on the white horse, he says, hey, there he was. Faithful and true. I don't know about you. I know some people. Man, I'd be excited if I'm here when Jesus comes back. Man, when the eastern sky breaks open. Y'all think Clint Eastwood was somebody. Y'all think he was something riding into a town to save a town in the old time western. Man, can you imagine? We can't even imagine. Man, I start to get the shakes. And goosebumps when I think about, when I start to imagine, what's it going to be like? What's it going to be like? And boom, the sky opens up and here he comes, man. Can you imagine? Have you thought about it lately? Because he's coming. It may be morning, it may be noon, it may be evening. But man, I'm hoping it's real soon. Oh, listen. You say, man, I'm just getting, I'm just getting started. With Jesus, you'll never get done. I'm just getting started. I got a whole life to live. Listen, I don't know about you if I haven't told you this, but I'm going to live forever. Those aren't just lyrics to a song. That's the truth that I have because of Jesus. That's not fanciful uh, thinking. That's reality. It might be scary to you to think that I'm going to live forever, but guess what? It's okay with me. Oh, man. Friends, the Word of God doesn't merely contain tidbits of truth. It is truth in its entirety. Back in John 1 and 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And everywhere you see it referencing the Word, it's speaking of Jesus wrapped in flesh. The Word in flesh incarnate. That's what He came as the Word of God. In fact, before His sacrificial death, you remember Jesus prays to His Father in John chapter 17 and 17. And He tells His Father, He says, Sanctify them with Thy truth. And He says, Thy Word is truth. Circuit Baker blown. Sanctify them with thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus was the word of truth. Oh, my friends, we're so blessed. So blessed. And 1 Peter 1 and 23, as I've already shouted out a couple of times, the eternal truth of God's word will live and abide forever and ever. And I don't know about you, but that news excites me. It excites me to know that it abides. But here are the questions for the day. I could go on and on all day about all the various passages that point to the truth of God's word. But the first question I have is, do you believe it? See, because if you don't believe that this is the word of truth, then we might as well just shut down right now. But if you believe this is the word of truth, then I have to ask the question, how are we? How are you, we, and you individually, all of us individually and corporately, how are we doing when it comes to the management of this beautiful gift of the word of truth? You see, because here's the reality. If I believe that it's truth, 
then I'm either living according to the Word of God or I'm living according to somebody else's Word. You, you understand that, right? And then I know some people would say, well, Pastor, that's not really necessarily the case. I actually live a little bit, I struggle. I live a little bit according to the Word of God, but then I do, I'm covered in flesh, and so I live according to my truth sometimes. Can I tell you, that, that, that reminds me of something I shared many years ago, and I share it, it seems like every three or four years now. It's kind of this double-minded man. By the way, you know, the Bible says that a double-minded man or woman is unstable in all their ways. But, but here's the reality. If I'm living part of my life according to the truth of God's word and I'm deciding to live part of my life according to the truth of me, myself, and I, that's this, that's this clinical diagnosis. It's a clinical diagnosis. Listen, I don't want to introduce more clinical diagnoses today, but if that's how we're living, it's called cognitive dissonance. You remember? Anybody remember? I've shared this before. It's cognitive dissonance. And here's what cognitive dissonance says. The state of having inconsistent thoughts, beliefs, or attitudes, especially relating to behavioral decisions and attitude change. So in reality, this idea of cognitive dissonance refers to a person who holds two opposing truths at the same time. Can I tell you? It ain't going to work for the child of God. Yes, I use the word ain't. But that's not a word, brother. Well, I'm sure my mother-in-law will correct me later. Listen, there's no way that I'm going to live according to God's word and live according to myself at the same time. That's an opposing truth. It doesn't happen. You see, I'm either living according to my philosophy, according to my truth, relativism, because there is no absolute truth, or I'm living according to the word of God. In every choice, in every decision, every belief, every attitude that I make, that's how I'm living. So, so we have to be very careful when it comes to the word of truth because, again, we either believe it or we don't. It was Adrian Rogers who put it this way. Adrian Rogers, the longtime pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, he said these words. He said, everything we truly believe, we obey. Now think about this. Everything we truly believe, we obey. And then he said, everything else is just religious talk. See, we're either talking or we're actually obeying. So what do we do? What can we do to assist us with honoring the Lord with this substance that he has given us, his word? So here's a few thoughts, and then we're going to wrap it up. Number one, uh, we need to possess God's truth. See, you, if you believe it, now I'm asking you to possess it. In fact, if you have your Bible, flip over, go backwards to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And in my Bible, it's on page 763. That'll at least get you close. All right? Colossians chapter 3. And I want you to see this. See, when I say possessing God's truth, I'm not just talking about like, hey, I possess it, I have it, and yes, I'm going to bring it with me to church. I'm talking about owning it, actually letting it be at home in your heart and in your life. Because Colossians chapter 3, look at verse number 16. The Bible says, let the word of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
in all wisdom, watch, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Listen, if the word of God is not at home in our hearts, there's no way that you and I are going to teach. There's no way that you and I are going to admonish. There's no way that you and I are going to be singing one to another these psalms or spiritual songs. It's just not going to happen. That's why Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. That, that phrase there where it says, can you guys put that back up again? There where it says, dwell in you richly. That phrase there means, and I've shared this before, means to let the word of Christ, it ought to be at home in your life and in your heart. I've used the illustration before. I have it in my Bible, although it, it's faded uh, in pencil. But the reality is a hotel is not your home. Many times we go on vacation and some people will post pictures of they've been at some resort. They've been, you know, someplace that's really posh and it's very nice. But the reality is invariably you go to these resorts and the bed just doesn't feel right. Anybody ever have that happen? You get there and, and you know, the pillow's not right. Anybody, let me ask this question. I'm just asking. Anybody travel with their pillow? Yeah, yeah, like you go, you guys, you guys are so spoiled, you take your own pillow. You're like, you're checking in like, uh, sir, you know we have pillows. Oh, I brought mine because my pillow feels right. Hold on a second. Did you see what just happened? I brought my pillow because my pillow feels right. That's like Casey, every time he goes back and forth, Right back and forth over to West Virginia, he brings that silly pillow home with him. I'm like, you know, we have pillows here. The word of Christ ought to be dwelling richly in us in all wisdom. We should be teaching and admonishing one another. We're not going to do that if the word of God is not at home in our heart and in our life. See, sometimes we go to these hotels. And we, th we take all these pictures. Man, isn't it lovely? Isn't it lovely? After about two weeks, who's ready to get back to their own bed? Everybody. That's why we have to hold to the word of truth. I think about in Joshua chapter 1, God is telling the children of Israel to go over the Jordan but he tells him to go over to Jordan and he says, go into the, the promised land. But, he, but here's, the, here's the impetus. They had to go in and possess their possessions. He had already given them the possession of the land of milk and honey, right? But they had to make the choice. Am I going to trust God that his word is true? I mean, you got the, 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 the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Hittites. You got the children of Anak over there. Lord, there's scary people over in that land. And we're not well able to. And Joshua said, no, 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 no. We're well able to do it. God has already given us the land. Because his word is true. We're able to overcome it. Let's go. Let's possess it. And you know what the people did? They said, no, 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 no. They cried all night and they said, oh, let's just hang out here for 40 years while all of our family members die. That was the choice they made. And you know what I think we do? Spiritually speaking, when we don't hold to the word of truth, we're like the children of Israel wandering around in the wilderness. We're waiting, we're wondering what God's going to do in our life. And God's saying, I already gave you the word of truth. All you need to do is follow it. Here's the road map. It's like, well, I got GPS on my phone, Lord. I don't need your map anymore. When we say that, we're done. 
We're done. Oh, we got to possess the word of truth. By the way, the written word of God and the incarnate word of God, they are not inconsistent with one another. They are compatible. They are not contrary. Oh, listen, when the word of truth has full access into our hearts and our lives, then here's the reality. I know that our thoughts and our words and our actions are going to be driven by what thus saith the Lord rather than what says me. But when that's not the case, the opposite happens. You know, it's been said that if we are not implementing God's truth in our lives, then chances are we most likely do not possess God's truth. That was a little rough when I first read it too. If we are, if we are not implementing God's truth into our lives, then chances are we most likely do not possess God's truth. If we do not possess God's truth, it is because we do not believe God's truth. We got to possess it. We also need to protect it. We need to protect it. In fact, just flip over a few pages. In fact, in my Bible, it's like two pages. Uh, actually, three. In 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, uh, I, I said 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, one more, sorry. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse number 13. And Paul says this to Timothy. He says, hold fast. He says, hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. He's telling Timothy, he's like, listen, listen, I've given you the word of truth. He says, now you need to hold on to it. You need not to let it go. If somebody tries to take it away from you, that's why you got to study to know it. You got to put it in your heart. You got to hide the word in your heart because somebody, they may come and they may give you some other kind of teaching. He said, you need to hold fast. You need to hold on to these words that I have preached to you and the words that you have seen me live. As believers, you and I will be better suited to steer clear of false teaching by possessing and embracing the truth and the undiluted word of God. I believe, listen, if it was a problem in Paul's day, then the chances are that it's a problem today. So not only do we have to possess it, we got to protect it. We cannot allow our imaginations, our reasoning, our peers, our culture. By the way, that's what they did in Romans chapter 1. Let me, let me read to you. Over in Romans chapter 1, you can stay right where you are, but here's what it says in verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And when you drop down to verse 25, it goes on, it says, Who changed the truth of God into a lie. When we listen to culture, by the way, I got, I got some good news for you and some bad news. There is not a te television station, really. I mean, somebody's going to say, well, CBN's good or this is good. None of them compare to the truth of God's word. And can I just say this? Let's be careful of elevating certain individuals too high because they say one thing. There are There are false teachers all around who are trying to get us to bite on the lure of lies. And I'm afraid in this country they're doing a pretty good job. A lot of people are biting on to the lures of lies. Listen, just because a station pro, pro, uh, 
just because the station might say they're one thing, they have an agenda. All of these stations have an agenda, right? This is truth. This is truth. If you believe it, then the question is, how are we managing it? Do we just close it up and put it up on the shelf Monday through Saturday and bring it out on Sunday to come hear me, whatever, for a couple of minutes? Or are we actually trying to dig in and say, God, I'm struggling. God, what do you have to say in regards to this? And you might say to yourself, you might say, I don't know where to find. I don't know how to find the answers in here. Guess what? That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we have Wednesday night. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have men who are going through discipleship together. Listen, if you don't know how to find something and you have a question, say, man, I'm struggling with anger. Call me. I'll show you what the Word of God has to say with anger. I'm struggling with anxiety. Call me. The Word of God has an answer for it. I'm struggling with lust. Call me. The Word of God. Man, the Word of God was getting ready to jump out at you on that. <laughs> Gotta watch out. The Word of God is powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces. It cuts down to the... It, it gets down to where the rubber meets the road, quite frankly. And there's no need to be going through life struggling, be like, I, I hear what he's saying, but I just don't, I just don't get it. That's why we got to be on our knees praying and asking the Spirit of God to lead us, right? As we read the word of truth. Oh, my friends, we must possess God's truth. We must protect God's truth. The truth of God must not, must never be turned into a lie as it was in Romans chapter 1, 2 Timothy, the, the, the Awana workers are going to come out of the crevices in this one, 2 Timothy 2.15. The Bible says to study to show thyself approved unto who? Unto God. Don't study to show yourself approved unto me. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of... Oh, listen, from God's word... It's from God's word that we learn how to love. You don't know how to love. I don't know how to love without Jesus. Let's be honest. It's like the world has a version of love that has nothing to do with Jesus. We have no ability to love or to worship or to serve him. Like Chad, Brother Chad was talking about worship, the outpouring of what's inside. It just ought to come out naturally. It shouldn't be something that we have to conjure up on Sunday mornings. It should be happening every day at various times. It's just going to bubble over because of God's goodness. Oh, we learn how to love and worship and serve, and we learn how to love and serve one another. We, we learn to fulfill our roles and responsibilities as Christ followers, as moms and dads, as husbands and wives, as sons and daughters, and as employers and employees. This is how we live according to His truth. We learn how to be good managers or stewards of all the things that God has entrusted us with. And so we got to possess the truth. we got to protect it. And here, flip over, flip, uh, actually I'm there, 2 Timothy. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. we got to persist in God's truth. This passage is reminding us in 2, in fact, 2 Timothy chapter 3, over chapter 3 in my Bible, here's what it says, perilous times shall come. Anybody think we've seen some perilous times? Anybody met with some perilous things in our society 
in our culture, in our country, and in this world? Well, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, drop down to verse number 14 and 15. Because, yes, the world is filled with air. This is why Paul says in verse 14 and 15, he tells, he tells Timothy, he says, but continue. Here he is. He's saying the same thing he said in 2 Timothy 1. Why is he telling Timothy the same thing over and over? Because he knows it's important because he also knows that false teachers were running rampant in his day. And so notice he says in verse 14, he says, but continue thou. In other words, he's saying, stay, stay put, don't move. He says, stay in the things that thou hast learned and those things that you've been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them. In verse 15, and that from a child, remember his mama and his grandma did a great job. He says, and from a child, you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Listen, it's one thing to acquire and embrace truth. It's another thing to live it out. It's another thing to live it out. Have you ever met somebody who's stingy? Don't raise your hand or don't point at one another. It's like, yeah, you ever seen my husband? He's stingy, especially, especially when we eat nachos. He never lets me have the jalapenos. You can, hey, listen, you can have all the jalapenos you want, right? If I'm ever around, you can have them. God doesn't want us to be stingy with his word. He wants us to, he wants us to possess it and to protect it, but he wants us to persist in it. He wants us to continue to stay in the word of God. It's, it's, listen, it's our roadmap. Why would we not stay in the word of God? Listen, it's one thing to acquire and embrace it. It's another thing to live it out. This verse here says to continue. Therefore, here's the reality. We must continue. We got to keep learning. We got to keep learning the word of God. Be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Ephesians 5, 17. We got to keep doing the word of God. The Bible says in James 2, 17, faith, if it hath not works, is dead. We got to keep on teaching. Paul, he tells Timothy, he says, commit thou the same to faithful men. In, in uh, 2 Timothy 2, 2, he says, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others. So we keep learning, we keep doing, we keep teaching. We got to just keep on living, no matter what comes our way, because Hebrews 10, 38 says, the just shall live by what? By faith. What's the option? I'm going to either walk by faith or I'm going to walk by sight. I want to walk by faith. I remember years ago making a decision that was not popular with our children. When I retired, and I felt God's call in my life. I had what I thought was a job lined up. Never really got a contract. There was a lot of talk back then. Had a job what I thought was lined up, going to get out and retire and going to live the good life. <laughs> and I kept on waking up in the middle of the night. And I was having these dreams. Now, you may, you may discount dreams, you may discount visions, and you may say, oh, that's a bunch of hubbub. But I kept on having these dreams that I was teaching and preaching the word of God. Here's a military guy. I'm a military guy. I'm like, this is crazy. Why am I having these dreams? And the place seemed familiar in the dream, but the faces didn't all seem familiar. And I'd roll over and I'd go back to sleep. And then invariably I'd have the same dream, same thing, over and over. Finally, it's like my wife, you know, if 
By the way, men, your wives probably know things way before you do, so if, if you're still struggling, just ask your wife what's going on. And so I said something to her, and she says, yeah, you know you sleep right next to me. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know that. It's like, what, am I mumbling in my sleep or something? She says, I hear you, I hear you tossing and turning all the time. And I realized that it was that along with everything else that was going on, the word of God and the spirit of God were telling me to go to Bible college. I was like, this is crazy. I'm too old to go back to school. That may mean that I have to go into an English room. I may have to take English grammar and English research. And heaven forbid, British literature. Ugh. What in the world? Next thing I know, I'm in Bible college. You see, we can either walk by faith, according to God's word, or we can walk by sight. And hear what Paul is telling Timothy. It was a phrase around Battlefield Baptist Church for a long time. But let me tell you, it has nothing to do with tr tradition. It has everything to do with what we just read. We used to have a phrase around here. We used to say, keep on keeping on. By the way, it's not germane just to this church. There are a lot of churches that say it. Keep on keeping on. But when we talk about keep on keeping on, we're not talking about keep on keeping on the way that you do this or the way that this is said. We're talking about the word, the undiluted word of God. Keep on keeping on in the truth of God. As Paul told Timothy, stay, continue, do not be moved. Because there are a lot of people, there are a lot of teachers who will try to move you away from the truth. And then lastly, not only do we possess, protect, and persist in the truth, we must be willing to proclaim, uh-oh, the word of truth. we got to be willing to proclaim the word of truth. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, Peter says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer. Are you ready to give an answer? Because he says, be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and in fear, in reverence to Almighty God. Be ready to give an answer of the truth that you believe in and the truth that you possess, the truth that you persist in, and on and on. Be ready to give an answer. And, and listen, as managers of truth, we got to be ready to do that. But you say, why? Why is this so important? I want you to look at chapter 4. Look at chapter... Uh, Chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul, and I didn't call for this, guys, but I'm going to read the first couple of verses as well. Paul says to Timothy, he says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Verse 2 of this passage, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Here's the key, verse 3 and 4. Why is it important to proclaim God's truth? Because verse number three says, For the time will come. I think we're there. It says, For the time will come when they, who are they? People. The time will come when people 
when people will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, in other words, after their own desires, after their own wants, after their own wishes, they shall heap to themselves teachers. Why? Because they have itchy ears. And verse 4 says, and they shall turn away their ears from what? And shall be turned into fables. Folks, if we're going to be good managers of the truth of God's word, we not only must possess it, we must protect it. We must continue to live in it. It must be our life each and every day. But we must also proclaim that truth to other people who are in need of hearing the truth of the gospel. In fact, we ought to be speaking the truth in love, sharing the truth with the lost, teaching the truth to new believers, instructing our children, hello, with the truth, defending our faith with the truth of God's word on and on and on because what I know is just as they were having that mock trial of Jesus Christ in John chapter 18 and verse number 38, there are still people in this world who are wanting to know what is truth. You remember that's what Pilate asked Jesus. After Jesus gave an answer, Pilate turns to him and he says, What is truth? I believe Pilate had a misunderstanding where truth came from. Much like those Pharisees of the day. Listen, as we as believers, as we possess it and protect it and persist and proclaim the truth, the reality is that in our life, you and I are going to be able to give an answer of love. We're going to be able to give an answer of joy, an answer of hope, and an answer of peace. And they all are found in who? The Word, Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father. He was full of grace and truth. The love that you know in Christ, the joy that you know in Christ, the hope that you have in Christ, and the peace that we have in Christ is that same love, joy, hope, and peace that we'll be able to share with the rest of the world. I close with this passage, and you can turn with me or not. Michaela, this will be the final passage in Psalm 31. I joke with her. In Psalm 31, here's the reality. David knew where truth came from. He knew exactly where truth came from. Notice what he says. <laughs> what a great passage of Scripture. He says, in thee. He says, in you, O Lord. In other words, that's what he's saying. He says, in thee, in thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for a house of defense to save me. Verse number three, he says, For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Put me out of the net that they have laid privily for me. For thou art my strength. Into thy hand I commit my spirit. Notice what he says. Thou hast redeemed me. You've rescued me. You've delivered me. That's what he's saying. How does he know it? He says, because you, O oh Lord, you are a God of truth. You are a God of stability, of certainty, of trustworthiness. And I'm trusting you. You are my rock. You are my defense. You are my deliverer. And he says, there are a lot of people who are laying in wait to destroy me. But I'm putting my trust. I'm putting my faith. I'm putting my confidence in you. Because God, only you are true. Can I tell you? 
when we walk out these doors today, you better be putting your trust in the only God who is true. By the way, there are a lot of gods out there, little g. A lot of gods out there, little g. But there is only one capital G. And his name is Jesus. I want you to put your trust in him. By the way, there are eternal ramifications. There are eternal ramifications if you're sitting here and you say, I just don't believe it. Can I tell you? If I could pay you, I would. But the word of God and the spirit of God draws. Can I tell you this book is true? From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. And you have an opportunity today. If you have never trusted, if you have never believed that this is the word of God and that it is true, you have an opportunity to say, God, I believe it. I believe that your word is true. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And I, I, don't, know, I don't know all the ins and outs, but I know enough to know that I need a Savior. And I'm asking you to save me. If, if that's your prayer, if that's your desire today, you know the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not because I said so, but because the God of truth says so. But here's the, different, this, the, the problem. If that's not your belief, if that's not, there are eternal ramifications. The Bible talks about being separated from God for all eternity. See, this is why I get so excited. This is why I get so passionate about God's word. I want us to be good managers of it. But before we can be good managers of it, we must actually embrace it. And so if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, I'm begging, I'm begging you, trust him today. It's as simple as calling upon the name of the Lord and saying, Jesus, forgive me. That's how simple it is. That's really from the very depths of your being. It's not about a set of words, but it is about the recognition of who God is. The fact that the word of God and the spirit of God bring you to this point and you say, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'm going to answer and I'm going to obey. And I'm going to start following your truth instead of my truth. Oh, I beg that you make that decision today. And if you're here and you're already a believer, I beg you to kind of ask yourself the question, how am I doing with this? And if need be, to recommit yourself. Recommit yourself to a life of good stewardship when it comes to the management of this precious gift of God's word. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the time that we've had today. God, I pray that the people in this room and the people who are watching, that they understand how much you love them. That you love this world. You love them so much that you sent your son to die on a cross, a cruel cross for our sins. It, it's, it blows my mind to think of it. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody that needs Christ today, that they will do business with you while you are near, that they will draw nigh to you. Our word says that if we do that, you'll draw nigh to us. Lord, help us to cleanse our hands. Help us not to be double-minded. Help us not to try and live half the week according to your word and half the week according to our word. But God, help us to give ourselves completely wholly to you and to what you have to say.
And Lord, we'll give you the praise for it. God, I pray that you'll have your will and your way during this invitation. Whether we want to praise you or we need to pray to you, Lord, that you will hear, that you will be glad, and that you will answer according to your divine and holy will. Lord, I pray that you be with us now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. Amen.